You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the fabulous 54 Below. Before we get started this evening, just a polite reminder, please take this moment to silence your cell phones, and also there is no flash photography, please. Welcome to the 54 Below Podcast. I'm Nella Vera, the club's director of marketing. Our guest today is the incredible Jasmine Forsberg. After making her Broadway debut this summer in Here Lies Love, Jasmine will be making her 54 solo debut before heading back to Broadway in December for six. Jasmine, welcome to our podcast. Nella, thank you so, so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> We're so excited for your 54 Below debut. I know everybody talks about like their 54 be <laughs> Below debut, so it's <laughs> kind of funny and a little bit of a joke, but it's also kind of awesome. <laughs> Um, I'm I'm truly thrilled. I remember being um, a a student at Penn State University. I went to musical theater. I went to their musical theater program, and the seniors of the program would always do a 54 Below show of the work that was commissioned to be to be written for them. And every time, every year, I would go to New York. I'd be like, Oh my gosh! Like Gaga, Goo Goo, <laughs> all, all over. <laughs> Uh, that opportunity. And I remember I got to make my 54 below actual debut, not my solo show de debut, but um, my actual debut. And if it only even runs a minute, the, oh uh, the how Prince edition. Um, and that was, that was a dream come true. And Jennifer Tepper invited me to be a part of that one. And I'm such a Jennifer Tepper fan. So, so Who I'm just it? excited to be able to, <laughs> to share my, my whole story with everybody, but yes, who isn't a Jennifer yeah. Tepper fan? Big so fan if, over here. <laughs> if, if you went to Penn State, so then you must be familiar with the works of Joe Iconis because he does a lot of work there. That's yeah. exactly it. I My first opportunity meeting and working with Joe actually was when he he did one of those said commission projects for the Penn State Musical Theater Program. And we ended up fully producing one of his works as one of our main stage productions that uh, my freshman year. Um, it was called Love in Hate Nation. Oh, and so that's it. how I met Joe Iconis. That's how I met Jennifer Tepper. But then that is how I met Jennifer Werner um, as well. And that's how I was able to make my foray into the New York City theater scene. And I did Broadway Bounty Hunter with them that following summer. And so I'm excited. I actually get to talk about Joe a little bit in the show. And so I'm really excited to share that with everyone. So we, I read the description for your show and it talks about it. It's about the music that made you, you know, who you are. Can you tell us more about that and what inspired you to create this particular show? And what do you think audiences, you know, what can they expect? Yeah, well, I've only seen a handful of solo shows at 54 Below uh, before. I've seen my friend Jonathan Savage's uh, show, JSAV, as I like to call him, as many people like to call him. And I've also seen um, Mauricio Martinez's solo oh, show. And when when Jennifer Tepper asked me to do this show, actually, almost almost four years ago to the day of my concert is when I first got an email from Jennifer saying, girl, if you really want to do your own 54 Below show, let's make this happen. Jennifer Tepper said that. And um, four years later, I finally get to make it happen. But over uh, earlier this summer, we revisited that exact same email thread. And she said, hey, if you're in town, let's, let's make this happen. You're back from tour. Let's, you know, let's try and see if there's a date that works for you. And when I thought about what show I wanted to do. I was kind of like, oh, oh, snap. And then there were a lot of deadlines to the materials uh, 454 below that I had to get. And so I was kind of just like 
very quickly going through my brain of like, you know, even though I've done New York, I've done shows in New York City before. At the time that I was developing the show, I was making my Broadway debut and I knew a lot of people would be seeing that show. But I haven't been able to like introduce who I am to New York yet. They don't really know who I am. And so I figured what better way to have a special introduction into the cabaret scene and, and just show the show the community who I am than to than to kind of take the audience on a ride of what got me to exactly where I am today. And so it really is a collection of songs and stories that have shaped my love for theater, my love for just singing, period, because I know, yes, well, 54 Below loves to host musical theater cabarets. My love is is so much broader than that. It's for, it's for music. It's for writing my own music. And so I'm excited to share that with everyone. Oh, fantastic. Well, we're excited to see it. Um, speaking of, you know, you went to Penn State. How um, how did you get into performing? I can't I can't imagine that that's a popular <laughs> major for a Filipino family. To, you know, <laughs> you'd be. I mean, normally I do understand. During my time at Penn State University, I um, was a part of the Filipino Association at Penn State, and most of the majors were n- nursing. I will say, <laughs> but that being said. When I was growing up, I vividly remember my Lola, my grandpa, singing uh, with the Magic Sing, which is our little Filipino karaoke machine. And it's a microphone where there's there's a keypad on the microphone and you can put different chips, different uh, different data chips, I suppose, into the microphone and, and you punch in 95431 and Billy Joel's Just the Way You Are will play on the TV. <laughs> and I have such fond, vivid memories of that because singing and music has always been a part of my life and my culture. Now, I don't have, um, I don't necessarily have performing uh, artists to look up to within my direct family line. However, I was born in Chicago and dance is what started it all. I remember my mom naturally kind of was just like, I don't know, we'll put you in something. And so I was two years old and I was taking my first dance class. And on my on my father's side, my cousin Rebecca was always such an inspiration to me in that sense because she was like the big dancing cousin of our family. Um, mm-hmm. And then it was piano lessons and I was three and my hands are still kind of tiny to this day, but imagine a little three-year-old's hands trying to play play the piano. And And when we moved down to Orlando, singing became a part of the mix. So I had dancing, I had music, I had singing. That was kind of just a natural, natural trajectory towards doing my first show. And when I, we, we lived in Orlando, Florida, growing up, my, my mom is still there. That is where I call home. And um, she said to me, I remember I was six years old, maybe, maybe seven years old. And she was like, Jasmine, there's a community theater nearby. They're doing 101 Dalmatians. This was Magic Curtain Productions. Do you want to be a part of it? You want, you want to do it? And so it was one of those theaters where you sign up, you actually pay to be a part of it. And, and, and I was like, yeah, let's do it. And, you know, it just clicked. I never complained when I went to rehearsal. Like, you know, when you're a kid and sometimes you're mm-hmm. like, I don't want to go to school. I don't want to go to baseball practice or whatever. Yeah, exactly. I, know, I, I I loved going to rehearsal and slowly but surely I just got more and more involved and I'm so grateful that I never looked back. Like it was always a part of my life. And there was, there was a time when I thought I was going to maybe not be a nurse. I thought I was going to be a doctor and my big brother Trevor is well on his way to being a doctor right now. Um, But I remember 
being maybe 15 or so thinking I had still had those doctor dreams. I was like, okay, like, yeah, this is my passion. This is, this is my hobby, but like, I'm going to pursue something else. Mm -hmm. And I, I got back home. It was this, it was over the summer of my senior year, going into senior year of high school. And I got back home from doing the Florida State University music theater intensive. It was the first summer doing it. And I remember getting home back to Orlando from Tallahassee. And I was like, guys, I really want to do this. Like, I want to pursue this. And I told my parents. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't just like, all right, let's do it. There was still a little yeah. bit of pushback because as we all can see, musical theater can be a an inconsistent career at times. But it's yeah. a journey that I really wanted to go on. And I'm so grateful to that to this day, I have the support of my family to pursue my dreams. How wonderful. That's so great to have supportive parents uh, like that, mm-hmm. you know, so important. Very much so. And it's, you know, I find that also if you don't, if you're not exposed to the business, you have no idea how to break into it. And you, you don't mm-hmm. think that it's a possibility. You know, when I went to college, I did not think working in the theater was a possibility. It was the furthest thing from my mind. I thought you had to know people and have an in and, uh, you know, so I was like, I'm, I guess I'm going to go to law school. And then by chance, you know, ended up getting a job at a theater and it's like, Oh, this is how it's done. And then going to grad school and meeting people that way. But, you know, if you don't have a person who kind of guides you and helps you. And I think the great thing about your generation is that we have the internet. And so people are mm-hmm. very helpful and you can reach out to people mm-hmm. on social media and you can see people thriving and there's great examples and of, you know, representation happening and all of that. Yeah. And so it's so much easier now, um, I think, for people to follow that dream if they really have it. Then, you know, when my generation, we just thought it, you can't do that. Like you, you have to, you know, get like a proper job and like go to med school or law school. And it's this is not something you can pursue if you don't know how to do it already. Um, so, yeah, it's that's so inspiring. I, um, yeah, I couldn't agree more on having the world at your fingertips with the internet and the, the connections of social media. Now, social media, you know, has its pros and it does have its cons as well. But I I remember being on tour with Six and I would get so many messages. In that show, I was the only Asian queen. I was only, only specifically Filipina, but I was the only Asian queen of the six of us. But it wasn't all uh, women of color cast. So that was really beautiful. But I would get messages from people saying like it is you know, you were such an inspiration to the AAPI community. Little did I know that I'd be making, I would be a part of history being made in the first all Filipino cast on Broadway. Uh, and so it's just amazing to, to be asked for advice for up and coming musical theater artists, for young artists who are auditioning for colleges and anything that I can do to share those little tidbits of hopefully little golden nuggets of, of wisdom that I have hopefully acquired over the years. Um, it's, it's really special when people want to ask for my input. It, it uh, means a lot to me. So speaking of Six, it was just announced that you're going to join the cast of Six on Broadway in December. Congratulations. I'm so excited. Thank you. Queen. I played on tour and I will continue to play Jane Seymour, the only one he truly loved. Oh, my God. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, the only one he truly loved, right? Gave him the son. <laughs> everything. Oh, okay. Um, so how does it feel to be returning to the show? And, and you're I mean, joining, well, are you joining the, is the whole cast the same cast that you performed with? Or, or the most- six 
the six onstage queens from the tour are plopping from the tour onto oh Broadway. And I am oh, wonderful. I am so thrilled because that community, like, you know, before I started rehearsals for six, you know, when you watch reality TV, when you watch The Bachelor and you see like these women competing against each other and tearing each other down, I, I subconsciously was buying into that idea that I was like, oh, you know, I'm not sure how this is going to be being on tour specifically, like being in a little bubble with all these, uh, these powerful women who clearly like, you know, deserve to be here and have earned their place here. And, you know, like, and I swear within the first two days of rehearsal for the tour. So this was back in February of 2022, 2021, What made the show special, of course, was the people who I was on stage with, but also the entire company. Because when you are on tour, you are in this little bubble and you go, you know, you go to, I remember having um, plans to go to try and go to a zoo or an aquarium in each city that I, <laughs> that I went to with, with some of my uh, tour mates. And it's just beautiful that the experiences that you get to create and the memories that you get to create with um, these people. And so I'm grateful that we already have such a strong foundation, the six of us to just, you know, transfer over to Broadway and hopefully bring a very similar, if not the same beautiful communal energy to the stage. And I'm so excited that New York and, and tourists and anybody who comes to the show gets yeah, to see it. Of course. So was it, was six your first like big gig, like, you know, Broadway. Yeah. Size gig? yeah. And so do you remember like how the auditions were and, how it felt or when, when you got the call that you had the role. And <laughs> Nella, I remember this vividly. Um, and it's actually something that I get to talk about in the show a little bit. So I'm really, really excited for that. But my first experience auditioning or even hearing about six, I was uh, a student at Penn State University, as I said before, and the theater program, the theater department would always do this thing called gay prom every year. And so one of my professors, Jay Austin Iyer, who no longer teaches at Penn State, but is the head of his own program, um, he did a number, a drag number to Get Down, which is Anna of Cleves' big number in the show. And I was like, oh my gosh, what is this? I need to know what this is. Because Six had yet, you know, Six, I think, took over the world post or, or, or even like during the pandemic, I think is when yeah. I really gained a lot of popularity on TikTok and, and things like that. So I didn't really know that much about this. And one of my friends, Jess Val Ortiz was um, very, very like, Jasmine, you have to listen to this, you have to be in it. And I was like, Oh, my gosh, okay. And you know, little did I know that right after graduating school, I would be auditioning for the national tour. And so my first audition was at the end of August. And I it was the day before I left to do a contract at Goodspeed Opera House in Connecticut. And so anytime I got called back for that, I had to take the Amtrak, whether it was a, an Amtrak that got in like a, a cute little red eye moment, or it was something that I had to wake up super early to come back. Luckily, yeah. I lived very close to, to Penn Station at the time. So I could just, you know, even if I did get home at two o'clock at night and I had the audition at 11 o'clock the next morning, it was okay. I was still getting a little bit of sleep. But, um, but I, that audition process, I remember, you know, it took about three months. And every time I went in, 
I was called back for various queens. I read for four of the six queens in total. Um, and by the time we got to the final callback, they had actually taken Jane Seymour off the table. My final callback, I went in for, who was it? It was Catherine of Aragon, Catherine Howard, and Catherine Parr, the Catherine trifecta. Um, uh-huh. And I was, I was, you know, I when I was going through that process, the way that they described Jane Seymour is that she was matronly. Like that was one of the key words in the the character description. And I was like, that's not really me. Like I don't feel that way. Um, yeah. Little did I know, matronly doesn't doesn't matronly doesn't necessarily. Yes, like I guess on paper it means like having a child, perhaps. But like, but. In my eyes, when I vision envision my mother, I think of loving, caring, uh, open-hearted, you know, uh, yeah. selfless in that uh, in that love and generosity for somebody else or for another life. And when the, the the final callback happened, I thought, you know, okay, we'll see. TBD, unclear. And then I get a call from my agent saying, "Hey, so they actually want you to go back in." So I had to go back in after oh, no. the, the so-called final callback yeah, for yeah. another work session, and it came down to Catherine Howard and Jane Seymour. And two of the, the two of them, I think, d- the way that I played it, perhaps they could be a little bit similar. But I feel like all of the six queens are quite different. They're quite very specific yeah. in their their lanes that they stay in energetically, um, and. When I got the call, I did the work session. I felt really solid about it. But when I got the call, I actually thought it was going to be leaning towards Catherine Howard. And I remember yeah. my agent, who I, I love to call him the best teammate ever. His name is Ross. Um, my agent said, so you're going on tour, but get this. They want you for Jane Seymour. And I <laughs> I wish we were on FaceTime at the time because my look on my face was actually one of like, it, it was so excited, but also like confusion. I was like, wait what i'm not i'm I'm not matronly like what this this doesn't really make sense to me but you know over the course of the the year plus that i was on tour and now you know getting to revisit the role i do feel confident that there's no queen that actually makes the most sense because the way that i found jane is one of you know she makes the mom joke she she's a little bit of a goober she just enjoys life and sometimes the and sometimes the which is ironic because she is the one who died but um some of the queens use her as like the butt of the joke but mm-hmm. honestly she's just she's just there smiling having a good time and it is really it has really brought my connection to my mom I've always had such a deep love for my mom she is probably the most important person in my life and being able to channel that love that parental motherly love in her Mm -hmm. and in my relationship with my mother is so special and I'm really grateful that I get to revisit it starting in December (laughs) I absolutely love that that is who you're playing because you know if I was casting you I'd be like oh my god definitely Anne Boleyn definitely Kate Howard you know like (laughs) right And, and the fact that you're playing this totally unexpected kind of it's slightly against type in a way like from the from the previous actors that have played that it's so awesome and I think that's going to be so fun for the fans who have not seen the touring cast you know to see Mm -hmm. different queens who are slightly different but still very true to the intent and the writing and everything I think ah that's so exciting how do you think this is going to be different than you know touring with the show you know 
I think that, like I've said before, touring, you're in this bubble. And I think it'll be really nice to have a home base because one of the things that I, one of my castmates, JG Makapugai in Here Lies Love, asks people on her, on, on their birthday, she'll always ask them, what's, you know, one big thing that you've taken away from this year? Like, what's one lesson you've learned type of, type of thing. When JG asked me that question this past September, mm-hmm. I had to think about it. And um, one of the biggest takeaways of this past year for me is that multiple things can exist at the same time. There's a duality to life. You can be so grateful for the circumstances or, or, or one area of life while also realizing how much you're sacrificing in other areas in order to make that thing that you're grateful for happen. And that was being on tour for me. Being on tour was a dream come true, but it also meant I was away from my community, like my people, not just the people that I've been asked to go on tour with, but I was away from my community and my family while like during the holidays. And I'm so lucky that my big brother, Trevor, the future doctor, um, wanted to come visit me while we were on tour in Boston for Christmas. So we got to spend time together. He slept on the couch in my studio apartment, bless Mm -hmm. him. Um, But you know, it was, it was being, being on the road is tough and it's tough mentally. It's tough physically. You know, we were were very lucky on the Aragon tour that we got to stay in cities for quite some time. So we got the lay of the land, but other tours don't have that luxury. They're moving, you know, it might be every night, it might be every few days at the, you know, sometimes the golden tour is like every couple of weeks you're moving. And yeah. so I'm very happy and fortunate that we had like three months in Chicago, we had two months in uh, DC. And so, so all that to say is that I think it'll be different from being on tour because we, we get to choose our community. And, and after the show, we get to go home and we get to hang out with our friends separate from work and hopefully just come into work feeling the energy of each other and we can we can we can hang out with each other as much as we want outside of work but ultimately we know that we can have a bit of a consistency and a bit of stability mm-hmm. rather than picking yeah. up and moving and having to learn a new city every couple weeks or every few weeks yeah. at this point so so that's something that i'm really looking forward to but i will say being in new york having been on tour for a year and then being in new york well the immune system and like the amount of people that you see on the street and when you're taking the subway yeah. That has its effect too. So, you know, it's, it's, who knows? Who knows? Yeah. My body's still getting used to it. That's for sure. And of course, Six has a very intense fan base. Were you prepared for that when you went on tour? (laughs) We've been, we were primed for it. On our first day rehearsal, they did tell us, you know, anything that you don't want, because the Six community, a lot of, a lot of the queendom is the tween teen age range. They were like, if there's anything online that you're not really, that you don't want, the community to see the queendom to see take it off make yourself private you know like do do yeah. what you need to do um but i will say the the love and support that i feel from the queendom is so real the amount of beautiful artwork and fan mail that has been sent to various theaters across the country is so beautiful and i still remember one of the most beautiful fan experiences are at this point it feels like a friend his name is john ryan uh ryan though is is his name really um he saw six in miami and i remember i think it was like opening night in miami and we were only there for a week but the the most beautiful perhaps the most beautiful bouquet of flowers that i've ever seen in my life arrived at my door and with the most beautiful note attached to it his penmanship beautiful his chef's kiss is what i just said um (laughs) 
it was just saying like, I'm so, the note was saying, I'm so grateful to be look, looking up to a Filipina queen because he is Filipino himself. And since then, he's come to support Here Lies Love. He catered a whole lechon, a whole pig for what? our company. And oh I know, I know, like <laughs> the most generous, generous soul. And I think that is truly in the Filipino spirit is, is sharing Absolutely, love through yeah. food and through generosity <laughs> and whatnot. But like the amount of beautiful experiences that I've been able to have with people who support the show in the Queendom on tour, I'm really yeah. looking forward to having that support back for something that is so beloved, like yeah. Six on Broadway this time. So incredible yeah. to me that, um, you know, people assume it's like all tweens and it's actually not because it's so funny. I first saw it in London. I saw it a couple mm-hmm. of times in London and who took me was a friend my age, you know, who had gone, mm-hmm. she had gone six times with friends her age. And it's amazing. It's amazing. Like, well, I'm not a tween obviously. And so it's just like all the women my age love the show as much as young women and you know I'm, i can't wait to bring my niece who's 12 she, it's because she's gonna mm-hmm. lose her mind um it's on the list but i was gonna wait till you're in it <laughs> to bring her but, <laughs> oh, thank you <laughs> it's like really you know has a wide range of uh just people who love it and then the lyrics are so clever that people just love it because mm-hmm. the lyrics are amazing you know it's just it's, it's so just, smart it, it can reach so many so, people, I think, as, as a fun, amazing experience, you know, very uplifting. Um, totally. Let me ask you about, so you made your Broadway debut in Here Lies Love. We could talk for hours about it, I'm sure. So what was it like <laughs> your Broadway debut in a show like this? You know, it's not a traditional, you're not in the music man. It's like this crazy groundbreaking different show that has people dancing and you know, like all around you constantly through the show. People, people can't see me, but my, my mouth is slightly agape because I'm just like thinking back to first seeing the space that was our playground beautifully designed by David Corns. And I'm just, I'm still in awe of this show. I am just still in awe of this show. Um, I, Making my Broadway debut, I'm always, it's always something I've had dreams of doing. Never in a million years did I picture it being in a production like this. Also, never in a million years did I picture it being part of an all Filipino cast. Like that is just, I'm so grateful. And Alex Timbers gave us, and and the, the entire creative team gave us this gift to just work on this material that is so meaningful night after night we get to sing this song called god draws straight the the thesis statement of that song god draws straight but with crooked lines and it's a i where i am blocked in that particular moment i'm on this catwalk at the very back of the stage um kind of up um and on looking not only my entire cast but also mm-hmm. the entire audience i get to see them because the, the lights not the house lights are on but but the lights are very much where like you can see a lot of people and I, in that moment, particularly when I made my Broadway debut back in June, but also just night after night, I get to look around and be filled with so much gratitude for what I get to experience and the story that we get to tell every single night. Because as a Filipino person, my own knowledge of even Imelda Marcos and Ferdinand Marcos was limited. And then, you know, because of martial law, a lot of what is online is very censored or is very much like what 
what they yeah. said could be released during martial law because the government at the, in the Philippines was in control of everything. And my grandparents, they left the Philippines before the Marcoses even came to power. And so being able to connect with my culture night after night is an experience that I never take for granted. And I hope that we can continue making and telling stories that, that re-envision what a Broadway show can be, reimagine what it can be, and just continue to push the boundaries of what theater experiences can be. Because it doesn't have to be your traditional music man. There's always places for music man, but what yeah. can we do to change it? What can we do to elevate the landscape? And wow, I think yeah. Here Lies Love really has done that. I mean, this is just, the show is, I, what I love about it is that every time you go, it's a different show for the audience, even if the <laughs> yeah. actors are doing the same thing because of where you can stand and see and move. And, you mm -hmm. know, sometimes you see a, from a different angle and it changes your perception of what's happening. Um, and sometimes yeah. you're like right in there in the, you know, right in the thick of things. And I haven't seen it from the mezzanine yet. So I'd like to try it, you know, one time up there, but it's just so much fun to be on the floor. So I always you know, go to the floor <laughs> first. Right. Um, but yeah. even in the floor, like you could be right, like for the funeral scene, you could be right up on the platform or you could be on the side and it just really changes your relationship to the show. And it, it even mm -hmm. blows my mind that Alex could even envision this show. Because I remember the very first workshop where there was one platform and it was at the public and he's like, no, well, come see what we're doing. You know, it's just the, you know, a couple of like you, I think he said like the, not the first act, but the first part of it, we only have one platform, but we're going to work with platforms. I was like, I don't know what that means, but I'll come up and look. And just the idea that he could envision, I, I just don't even know how somebody can put something like that together. I mean, he's a genius you know everything he is, that he's, it, he, it's his genius um but just <laughs> the idea that he could kind of put these pieces together and move this set around and i mean it's just really and give you a story like that that you know it, it thematically it makes sense for you to be in the thick of things because you understand how this whole country got caught up you know mm -hmm. in, in these in this couple's um you know plan um but it's just you know it really is fantastic and if if people haven't seen it i hope they see it soon and, and i hope so show you can go yeah. back many times because it is a different show and it's just so much fun how um how was <laughs> it like did, the first time that you met david byrne like <laughs> i mean just david byrne is the sweetest oh my gosh i was gonna call him a sweet little nugget no he this man fully has had a past slash present as a rock star like rock star and yet yeah. here he is in rehearsal with us every single day we rehearsed at the same uh venue that the the rockettes christmas show rehearses and mm -hmm. so in the bathrooms it's all like rockettes can like do something for 20 seconds you can wash your hands for 20 seconds yeah <laughs> and all this to say is david byrne would constantly be sitting at his little desk in the back of our rehearsal room it's a, not little very large rehearsal room um, because as you've seen with the set, it is quite um, expansive. And so we yeah. needed the space to have a literal life-size creation of that set. Yeah. Um, but he was, he was there every single day. He rode his bike to work. He left his, he left on his bike at work. He was always trying to envision how to make his show better. Very, very limited changes, I would say, in terms of the musical landscape and the lyrics of the show. 
um, which is amazing because I mean, the show has been in development for 10 plus years now. So, so it was amazing to see just the community that this, and this, this was a, every single person on this creative team, Alex and Justin Levine um, included have, they, the, those two specifically have said, this is the most fulfilling favorite project that I've worked on. And so to hear that from people who you greatly admire just gives you this, this like, I can't even describe it. There's a feeling in my tummy that just makes me so proud. And even if it wasn't their favorite, their favorite thing that they've ever worked on, their favorite project, I would still have that feeling of pride, immense pride. But to know that they truly stand by the art that they're making and the entire company stands by the art that we're making is really special for sure. Yeah. Can you, um, do you have like a favorite moment with this show, like um, either on or off stage that has happened over the past few months? <laughs> there's so many, there's so many little miniature backstage moments that make my show so fun night after night. But I think one of my favorite on stage moments that actually you probably can't see because we're very dimly lit in this moment is during a perfect hand when Ferdinand Marcos, Jose Lana is singing directly to the camera and, P- and various people from the audience are being pulled up mm-hmm. and, and uh, he's, he's, you know, interacting with them while we're all observing um, Marcos in that moment, while we're all observing Jose, um, the, the various ensemble members are kind of thrown about the, the audience with, with the rest of the audience members and we get to walk through them. And I love having many conversations with my cast members being like, are you going to vote for him? Or like, who is that? Or, or oh my gosh, he's cute. <laughs> like that. But it's just authentic. Like we're still in character, but we're also not at the same time. And it just yeah. feels like this particular moment in the show where there's like this, this vibe of inspiration and hope. And, and, and during history, that was the energy that the Marcoses were giving specifically for Dana Marcos before he even met Imelda was giving off yeah. was this vibe of like, I can, I can change the country. I have so many plans. And, and so to kind of in real time be inspired and have that hope um, and joy with my fellow castmates, it feels really good night after night. Oh, how wonderful. Congratulations with all of that. It's so spectacular. Thank you. You know, you're a performer, but you're also a songwriter. Um, can you talk a little bit about, you know, your songwriting process and, um, you know, what is it that you like to write? What, yeah. What's your genre? You know, I, was, <laughs> I was looking on Spotify the other day at the, at the new music uh, playlist. And a lot of these new artists have these buzzwords that they attach to their music. Like, like the uh, I don't know, something like warm and fuzzy or, or something, you know, it's just, it's just a they're able to capture it very well. And I will say my songwriting genre, it's all still in process. I think generally speaking, it like leans into singer songwriter, pop singer songwriter land. Mm -hmm. But I like to think of journaling as my, my personal diary entry. It's my way of processing what I'm going through. And so a lot of my music is inspired by the things that just, you know, the music that made me, this is the music that made me and the music that I made. And um, I, it's it's yeah a personal journal entry of sorts of and it's I love looking back at my music over the years and seeing being able to put myself exactly in that situation when I wrote it 
and thinking about who it's about or the feelings that I was I was experiencing at the time. I was just in a voice lesson with my voice teacher, Jared Trudeau, the other day, and he said, pop music is like the function of it is to capture emotions. Like that's what it's about. It's not necessarily, you don't have to make it about storytelling. Sure, there might be a story that influences the song, but and it's just um, really cool to be able to revisit each song and think about exactly who it was about because, oh, I've written some songs about some people, that is for sure. But yeah. lately um, it's, you know, it's me plunking around on my guitar. I don't have a piano in my apartment. One day, one day, that's a dream. But um, I'll just put on my voice memo, voice recorder, and I'll, I'll start with a, maybe a guitar ma- melody. I think the some people say the music and the lyrics, like it's always the lyrics first and then they put it to music, or sometimes it's the music and melody first and then they find lyrics that fit it. I feel mm-hmm. like mine is very much an interweaving of both. And there isn't one that takes precedent over the other because I think both are necessary um to capture exactly how you're feeling and so i i can't necessarily write out a poem or a phrase Mm. now that being said i'm catching myself here because sometimes i'll think of something and i'll just put it in my notes app and then i'll revisit it later and let that particular sentence or phrase like inspire a song so it it really depends you know i am one of those songwriters some people have their process thought out it's methodical they do it every single time mine is really just a it is ebb and flow and something I have to be better about in life is going with the flow. I'm a planner. I'm a Virgo. So I give off that. Like, I like, I like that type of energy, but for songwriting, it is not type A. It is very much whatever I'm feeling in the moment. What, what advice would you give to sort of aspiring performers who are looking to make their mark in the industry? Something I love to say to others. And I wish I could say to my younger self, is not to let anybody put you in a box or don't, you know what? People are going to do that because people like to label people Mm -hmm. and things. They like to compartmentalize and put something somewhere, put something in another place. Free yourself of that burden. Don't label yourself. Don't try and put yourself in a lane. Yes, specificity is good. Yes, I agree with that. However, so many people are going to try and put labels on you for you before you even have a chance to define and, and come up with the idea of who you are. So release yourself of that expectation because I didn't think for a second I'd be Jane Seymour. And here I am being on Broadway as a queen who gets to stand in her power, take up space, stand center stage as still as can be and just sing and tell a story. And I didn't think that was my trap. And here I am getting to do it on the biggest stage in America and potentially the world. And so, mm-hmm. and so, you know, just free yourself of that and, and allow yourself to ebb and flow and go with the flow of what art making is and what creativity is because there's no right and wrong um and I think that's that's what I wish I could tell my younger self because I loved to seek out advice from other people and I would love to be like what do you see me as what you know and gather that information but don't let it define you just have it in your little file folder your little collection yeah yeah no that's great advice and you know, I find also that young people, you have more options. Like you can be more than one thing. You can be a songwriter, mm-hmm. you can be a performer, you can be an actor, you know, a singer. And um, it's so great. Like I see there's so many multi-hyphenates, you know, these days just across all yeah. media. And that's so great. Well, you've already played, you've had two, you're so young and you've had two incredible parts already on Broadway. 
or will have by the end of this year. Do you have a dream role that you've always, you know, thought about? Oh, I would love to play that part. Or there are projects that, you know, are in the back of your mind that one day when you're done with six, you know, or even 10 years from now when, you know, you're the age for a part, like, is there something in the back of your mind that you've always wanted to do? You know, I was walking with my castmate, Melody Bucci, um, from an interview and I was, and she had just started a, she was just getting ready to start a Stephen Schwartz workshop that is currently going on. I believe it's about the, the Palace of Versailles or, or I don't know oh, yeah. the exact word, but, mm-hmm. but nonetheless, she is a part of that. And I was like, how did you form your, you know, like she kind of, I kind of asked her that exact same question of, of, you know, how she, I'm, I'm going, I'm ebbing and flowing here as, has been the theme of this conversation thus far of like how she kind of maneuvered her trajectory. Uh, yeah. Cause she's not based in New York. She, she's out in, in California right now. And so, so when she comes to New York, it has to be four projects and whatnot. And I was so curious. And she said, you know, I didn't base it on the rules that I wanted to play. I wanted to base it on the people that I wanted to work with and the creatives that I wanted to work with. And that's advice that I would love to take with me going forward. There's so, there's a laundry list of names. I don't, I don't want to single anybody out because I, I, Mm -hmm. there's just too many. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I'm, I'm manifesting all of them. But that said, I think there, in this moment, there, I, you know, I've always thought, but when I was younger, I was like, Kim and Miss Saigon, of course. I literally looked up to Leigh Salonga. Working with her in Here Lies Love was a dream. Oh my is a gosh. Dream. Um, I can't even Even speak. the Blazada as well. Yeah. <laughs> even the Blazada as well. Like, my respect for these Filipino uh, women is just so strong. But, yeah. you know, like, they, they are the blueprint. But, like, I think I was limiting myself with Miss Saigon. Because, like, that's, you know, that's just the... That's the show that every Asian young actor kind of wants to vision, envision or be in. Or maybe not every, but that's a general mm-hmm. Nonetheless, all this to say is I think my dream show hasn't been written yet. I think we, the possibilities are endless. Maybe I'm a part of the writing process as a songwriter yeah. myself. Maybe maybe I'm in the room. My, my dream, though, truly is to be with something and build a character from the ground up because I want to be the person that on the original cast recording that people of get to, to look to and, and, you know, build that blueprint for all the other people who get to attempt the role. Cause I have so much respect for Abby Mueller and Natalie Paris who created these Seymours. And I'm, I'm grateful that my own take on the role has been so respected and, and admired and, and received by the community. But I want to, I want to be the part who, the person who builds something and maybe yeah. that show doesn't exist yet. So TBD. Exactly. I'm, I'm have no doubt that that's going to happen. Absolutely <laughs> zero you. doubt that's going to happen. So we look <laughs> forward to having you originate amazing parts on Broadway. So it has been an amazing pleasure to have you on this podcast today. And thank you so much for taking the time to join us. I know you're so busy between two Broadway projects. Um, so we're so thrilled that you could join us and we can't wait to have you at the club. Thank you so much, Noah. I'm so, so excited for my show. On November 19th, please come. 9.30 p.m. <laughs> Tickets are very, very, you know, going super fast. And there's still a few left, but not many. So if you're interested in seeing it, tickets information at 54below.org. So again, November 19th at 9.30, you can catch Jasmine's show. And uh, we'll see you then, everybody. Thanks again so much, Jasmine. Thank you. Thank you.
Thank you so, so much. You've been listening to the 54 Below Podcast, part of the Broadway Podcast Network. Subscribe and read us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. To find out more about our upcoming shows, visit us at 54below.org. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.